The Bachelor of Hearts presents Ancient Kissery, the Bachelor podcast that asks ye old question. Xavier, are you ready for this? It's, it's really okay. Good. I'm ready. <clears throat> I think so. Anyway, okay. Are you are you okay? It felt like you coughed something up just then. Who Rhonda World? <laughs> Fuck! I love Rhonda. Can we get that out of the way? There's so much momentous Roncon mm. in this episode. Mm. Uh, we're, listeners, here's what's happening. We're watching season one of The Bachelor. Rhonda is a contestant on this season. She is phenomenal in so many different ways. She has really, Rhonda roused up a bit of uh, support <laughs> from me or whatever, you know. Rhonda rousing uh, hello to her or something. Yeah, How would you look, even know? Uh, I don't know. We've done it twice. Two runs make a right. Let's move on. My name is Max Quinn. <laughs> Joining me as he does each and every week is Xavier RN. Hi, Xavier. Howdy, howdy. That's my American greeting because we're talking about the US version of the show. Howdy, howdy. This, this is the podcast where we, two intrepid time travelers from the present day, team up to pierce the membrane of modernity to tap dance on the time-space continuum <laughs> and talk about The Bachelor to chart the evolution of the show through the ages we are modern-day Darwin, Xavier. That's what I've always said about us and this franchise, our grim Galapagos. And for season one of The Bachelor of Hearts presents Ancient History, we are starting with season one of The Bachelor. This is our recap of season one, episode three, of The Bachelor US, which first aired in 2002. If you'd like to join us on the expedition, The Bachelor of Hearts Osh posting group on Facebook is where we hang out with our Batchy friends, fans, some former contestants from the Australian show as well. There is heaps to come in this episode, including a series of landmark moments for the aforementioned Rhonda. Absolutely. Is she The Bachelor's first true villain? How does mm. she stack up against... Uh, modern day love to hate reality TV contestants stick around for all that and more. But first, before we get there, it is over to the news desk. Xavi, time for a batch world catch up. This is the point where we would put in the little like news stinger thing or whatever. I spent right. I've spent probably like an hour going through like license free, royalty free sound libraries looking for a good one that didn't feel like someone else was just using it. Uh, you know, because some of them you're like, oh, that's the one that's being used on this podcast or in this TV show or whatever. I couldn't find anything. I'm really pissed off. And so now I'm like, we're going to have to like hire an orchestra to come in, <laughs> like a timpani player and like, you know, some really big like trombones going like, bom, 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 ba, da, da, you know, my friend, I'm so excited to introduce you to the world of MIDI programming. Oh, that, well, that's that would do it. That's true. But I feel like we have set a high standard. Our listeners mm. might be aware that we have new theme music for the Ancient Kistory uh, sub-series. It's not a sub-series. It's a sur-series. It, it exists above and beyond <laughs> the existing series. 
above and beyond, but also back in time. That's true. Yeah, look, it's complicated, but uh, we'll map it all out on a on a three uh, D space timeline. <laughs> I'm out of my depth here. Let's go. Let's go. Top story this week: the past seven days, I've seen the release of two teaser trailers for Brooke Blurton's upcoming season of The Bachelorette Australia. The first, which dropped on September 29th, features Brooke in a glamorous red gown in Yamaji country in Western Australia. She discusses her connection to country and to the ocean and says, for me, true love is all about making a soul connection, no matter who they are. While the song Feeling Good, written by Anthony Newley and Leslie Bricuss, and made famous by Nina Simone, Michael Bublé, Muse, Muse? apparently, yeah, yeah. Uh, and many more, plays behind her. This Very is cool. not the first time that they have done this, by the way. And I don't know where in the zeitgeist I pulled this from, because I didn't really watch this season of The US Bachelor, but mm. I remember watching a trailer a year and a half ago for Pilot Pete's season. Ooh. In which we see a shot of the plane that Pilot Pete flies, flying in the sky as a cover of Nina Simone's Feeling Good plays underneath. That's really interesting. I, I don't think I'd seen that trailer before, but um, yeah, I mean, that's so, that's so curious, especially when like it feels like casting a pilot earlier this year for Jimmy's season was already kind of taking a leaf out of that season's playbook. <laughs> totally, and totally. This, I mean, this isn't news, but this is something I had speculated about a little bit recently. Um, when in the context of the conversations that we've been having about like what lessons the Australian Batchy franchise can learn, particularly from US, mm-hmm. I was kind of thinking, and I realized to myself, I kind of realized that I don't necessarily think that the Australian producers or the people who are making the Australian show are that interested in or aware of what's going on with the US season. That's interesting. Like, I feel like if you worked full-time at The Bachelor, uh, you may not be quite as likely to be sopping up all of the exciting stories that are taking place overseas or whatever. Yeah, I suppose that's true. And just in terms of, like, the way that certain lessons aren't don't feel like they're being learned and they're avoiding certain, you know, plot threads and that kind of thing that te- tend to pop up more often. But then you see something like this and it's like, no, this can't be, like, groupthink. You know, this can't be, right. like you know, two comedians thinking of the same joke at the same time or whatever. Uh, this is this is an inspiration, I think. This is a playbook. Right. But I do like the trailer, whether or not Me we too. feel like the music choice is derivative. I feel like um, it leans really heavily on the glamour, as you would kind of expect it to. Um, mm-hmm. But it doesn't sacrifice the, like, cultural significance of this season. Um, I think it spotlights it in a way which, like, at least as far as I'm concerned, and I'm clearly not going to be the like final say on this but it doesn't feel like it cheapens the meaning of what's going on here i think it represents that's exactly right yeah yeah like brooke looks expensive and feels accessible at the same time and those two things are such a it's such a rare thing for a 60 second trailer to be able to pull off but in Mm. this context brooke's it you know what i mean she looks Mm. great she feels like she's the exact right lead at the exact right time i'm so ready for it The second trailer, which dropped on October 3rd, this one is cut together from episode one, and I think it does a really good job of just laying the contextual groundwork for anybody who doesn't follow the show, anybody who maybe heard that there was going to be a bisexual bachelorette, or maybe heard, you know, maybe knows the tiniest thing about this, but like, you know, it just lays it all out there. These are the plot points. It's great. Brooke ITMs, I'm the first indigenous bisexual bachelorette. 
The barriers that have been broken just by doing this, I think it's huge. It's not about gender. It's always about connection. We're ticking these things off as we go. This is a fantastic commercial. Keep going. Yeah. We also see a supercut of Brooke's past batchy dating history. So if you haven't seen these seasons, you know where to jump in from. Firstly, we've got a relationship with Nick Cummins, which didn't work out. He could not have gone viral at a better moment, by the way. Right. For this season. Absolutely. Could not have gone viral at a better moment. Yeah, I agree. I love that they use one quote that is able to summarize everything that happened with that season, which is just Brooke saying, I need a guy that knows what he wants. (laughs) It's like, well, we could have saved a lot of time. (laughs) And then we see a clip from her time in Bachelor in Paradise Australia season two, in which Alex Nation, who had been having a little tryst with her, tells her, my feelings for Bill have kind of surpassed what was going on with you and I. This explicit mention of the embattled figure surprised me. Uh, Much has been made, including here on this podcast, of Bill Goldsmith's controversial views and statements and alleged possible proximity to various somewhat nefarious conspiracy groups. If I were Network 10 or Warner Brothers, I would be a little hesitant to include him specifically within the document. I would be trying to like de-emphasize his relevance or his role in the narrative. I think that he is accoutrement status and that is it. Do you know what I mean? Like, this is, uh, we have to pay lip service to this to explain why Alex is leaving. And they probably, I reckon, went through and found that entire scene and could not find a better line of dialogue than my feelings Mm. for Bill have surpassed my feelings for you. And do we, like, if you are a super casual, if you are coming to this for the first time, do you care who Bill is or who this woman is? Probably not. Sure. Look, I'm not I'm not saying that like someone's going to see this trailer for the first time and be like, "Oh, who's Bill? I've got to who's find Bill? out. I'm going to go Bill's follow him star. on Instagram." <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> I I don't necessarily think that's true. I'd just be like, "Look, is there Yeah. I it must just be there was no way for them to explain it without him being involved." Right. Um even though them I feel like there must be some clip somewhere of Brooke just being like, "It didn't work out with Alex Nation or whatever." True. But, there you true. Go, you it know. just it speaks to the like I suppose also the bisexual element of it. Two. Sure. Yes. I, I can see, of course. Yeah, that, that makes sense. This trailer also reveals a few of Brooke's upcoming contestants. One of them we know already. It's Jamie Lee Days, who was another contestant on Nick Cummins' season, uh, which Brooke also appeared on. Uh, and she her involvement had already leaked out. I think we already talked about it. That's but right. We also meet a guy in a light gray suit who seems fine. <laughs> Uh, there is a glittery bituxedoed man on a ride-on lawnmower. Great. Would you big glittery bitux? Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, and then also a blonde woman in a red rhinestone dress. Uh, and we also get a glimpse of Brooks' night one dress, which is a black rhinestone bustled dress with elegant matching gloves. I reached out to the group chat because I couldn't remember the word bustle. I was like, what's the word for like when the like bottom bit like poofs out or whatever. And friend of the show, Minna, hooked me up within seconds and also astutely added incredible goth 2008 prom energy from Brooke. Oh my God. Yes. Which I fully agree with. And I kind of love to see it, honestly. Uh, all right. Next news story. Bachelor in Paradise Australia season three, clean skin. Connor Canning. Oh, my God. 
This is a big story. Has lost his real estate license and copped a $30,000 fine after a magistrate ruled that he was not a fit and proper person to practice in the industry, ABC News reports. Connor reportedly stole a confidential client database from his former employer, then used it for his own financial gain, both by contacting people listed in the database and by providing the information to a mortgage broker, writing to them, The Golden List, my man. This is highly confidential, but I trust you. This piece, which was published by ABC News earlier this week, paints a pretty undesirable portrait of Connor. Quoting the magistrate who referred to him as, quote, dishonest, unprofessional, and that the public needed to be protected from him. Perhaps most uncharitably, the article also describes Connor as having been, quote, employed in real estate. Uh, I did a little further research beyond just this article, which got posted in the Bachelor of Hearts Osh posting group. I did a little digging because this thing apparently has been bubbling up under the surface without us noticing for a while. Um, Uh And that research showed that the complaint and investigation into Connor's work as a real estate agent actually began two years before he went on Bachelor in Paradise. Wow. And that the tribunal proceedings involved questions about his time on the show. So I have a quote here I just want to read uh, verbatim from the ABC News piece. The lawyer for the property agent's tribunal, Craig Mackey, asked Mr. Canning what he had gained from being on Bachelor in Paradise. Mr. Canning said while financial gains were, quote, difficult to quantify, the real win was that he met his partner. When Mr. Mackey asked him if he had disclosed the complaint and investigation to the producers of the show, Mr. Canning said no, because he did not think they would, quote, care about that, and he regarded it as a niche issue pertaining to his industry. At the time, I didn't think I was being dishonest, he said. So it kind of remains to be seen what the fallout will be from all of this. At the time of recording, Connor still has just under 50,000 followers on Instagram, So maybe there's a chance he's just going to continue to seek gainful employment in the influencer space or try and get back into the reality TV game. I mean, you know, he was good on the show, I think. Mm. Um, This might be difficult to overcome as as part of his, you know, personal uh, brand or whatever. Um, But yeah, very, very interesting. Kind of messed up. What did you make of all this? Well, Xavier, what do I think about this? Let me show you an image that I found. (laughs) Okay. Just going to show you this All right. and just let it satisfy any amount of schadenfreude that you might have. Oh, my God. So this is in the article. This is in the piece. Yeah. Now, I want you to describe what it is. So this is an image of Connor probably in, in, a good, in the good times when, when times are <laughs> a little better for him. He's smiling mm. at the camera. He's looking, you know, he's looking confident. Uh, and behind him, there are four framed... What would you call them? Portraits? They're not portraits because they're just words. But each one has one of the following words arranged in order. I'm explaining this very badly. They say, in canning, we trust. Yikes. Yeah. Allegedly uh, lied under oath. Yeah. With a client database worth about $800,000. It is not the best for Connor. Not ideal. This is what I'm talking about with this article. Just being like, fuck, whoever put this together... uh, did so with confidence, you know? <laughs> uh, but there you yeah, go. Yeah, look, oh, honestly, we hope the best for Connor. He was good on TV. Right. Who knows what's to come for him and obviously for Mary and their beautiful child. But uh, 
yeah, not a flattering look for yeah. our friend Connor Canning. Let's talk briefly about some recent developments from the US Bachelor. Uh, the American Broadcasting Company, ABC, which I learned this week stands for the American Broadcasting Company, <laughs> has appointed the new host for next year's 26th season of The Bachelor. This host is former NFL quarterback as well as America's fifth bachelor, Jesse Palmer. Jesse Palmer has a long-standing relationship with the Walt Disney Company, the mega corporation which owns ABC. He served for many years as a sports broadcaster on ESPN uh, and currently hosts The Ultimate Surfer on ABC. Palmer also has another Mike Fleiss connection as the host of Fleiss's 2018 reality spectacle, The Proposal, uh, as well, of course, as his tenure as The Bachelor back in 2004. Those following ancient history but not aware of the current day Bachelor may be unaware of the scandal which left the host spot open. Uh, long-standing host Chris Harrison, during the tenure of the first Black Bachelor in the show's almost 20-year history, came under intense public scrutiny after defending contestant Rachel Kirkconnell's past racist behavior. Nope. So, in the spirit of reconciliation, progressiveness, and equality for which the Walt Disney Company has come to be known... <laughs> it is refreshing to see the show appointing another straight white man as its new figurehead especially given that the show has also recently cast the 26th Bachelor and breaking up the long-standing pattern of black bachelors that the show has managed to keep up for a whopping one season. It is yet another white dude who plays football. <laughs> so much to look forward to there. And I think this is relevant to our discussions of the beginnings of this great franchise. I think in choosing a new host, they have had to look for somebody who, rather than taking a big position of power like Chris Harrison had, I think they were looking for somebody who was going to be a bit more malleable. And I have a feeling that Jesse Palmer, being that he was famous and well-known and well-liked before he went on The Bachelor, I get the impression that his time on the show would have been somewhat mm. better than many other people who have been the lead of The Bachelor. Like, they, they kind of needed him, so... You know, yeah. I, I barely remember his season, but I get the impression that, like, they would have treated him a little more gently than they tend to do with Bachelors uh, outside of that example. And so I wonder if now he is able to take the reins and become the the face of the franchise because he has a somewhat kind of, um, you know, impression of what it actually is and what it's like than many others. Yeah, and I think that that enables him to play a little bit and probably take this franchise which is mired in a little bit of controversy <laughs> a little bit <laughs> a which is mired in controversy yeah uh into a place that can feel positive and playful and that's you mm. know kind of nice all right uh i don't know about you but i'm feeling a little dry don't you think okay it's yeah i'm feeling a bit dry dry too. out here oh christ <laughs> <laughs> don't you think where uh just i don't know i'm just i feel like i'm getting burnt i just feel like i need to like Really just submerge myself into something instead and, uh, okay. you know, yep. maybe, I don't know, some kind of like bath or maybe even bigger. Wouldn't How it be would great? You, what, what process would you like to do to, <laughs> to get? Do you like that I put dive in into the theme music? <laughs> I did. I really did like it. Uh, folks, we're going to dive deep into The Bachelor Slish. U.S. Season 1, Episode 3, which aired on 
April 8th, 2002. We begin with a very helpful previously on The Bachelor, where the 17 irrelevant cast-offs are all but scrubbed from the show's memory, and the eight remaining women are spotlighted and given glamour shots with their names written in big letters, which is an especially helpful feature for anybody attempting to recap this show 20 years in the this future. This was so helpful. <laughs> the thing that I learned in watching the opening credits was that I knew four of the eight women left in right. the game. Do you remember right now who they were? Yeah. The four people that I did know were Shannon, who gave him the compass, Shumpus. Sure, uh, Shumpus. Lots of screen time for Shumpus. Yeah. Lenice, who had the first kiss. Sure. Um, Trista, the Miami Heat dancer. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. then the shotgun-wielding deviant who will haunt my dreams forever, <laughs> Rhonda. Right. And well, that leaves four blondes. Yeah. Yeah. Four non-brunettes, Kim, Amanda, <laughs> Kathy, and Christina. Mm-hmm. Some of whom we got to see and get to know more about on this episode. <laughs> Some of them barely registered. Anyway, uh, we're then taken to Chris Harrison introducing Bachelor Alex's friends, Sam and Stephanie, to the mansion uh, and the eight women contained within. Uh, Chris tells the women that Sam and Stephanie will be living in the guest house on site, which will give them all a chance to get to know what his friends are like. This does not happen. Uh, (laughs) He also reveals that prior to the next invitation night, you heard me, there will be one group date as well as three intimate one-on-one dates. These are the first one-on-one dates. This is the first uh, utterance of the phrase one-on-one dates. Um, they're called single dates in Australia. I don't know where that came from. Uh, and the recipients of these intimate one-on-ones will be chosen by Sam and Stephanie. So we cut right to this little compatibility questionnaire sort of quiz thing that they organized. Uh, and they're cut together a little bit too quickly to follow. The whole thing takes place very fast. We learn that Kim doesn't vote, which is interesting. All the rest of them do. Uh, most of the women think that sex is, quote, extremely important in a relationship. Rhonda says, you should have sex at least once a day, um, which I will not judge, but I feel like it would be difficult to keep up. Uh, and within about two minutes, this part of the episode is done. Yeah. I feel like these days, this would be like a group date that takes most of, like most of the episode. This is an entire act. Right. It's like the main plot point of the whole thing. 100%. And it also goes to show this compatibility game, this idea that we're still talking about being like, it would be a whole act of an episode. It has been around literally since episode three. Right. That's very true. We do one of these every season. Yeah. Yeah. A date box arrives for 23-year-old event planner Amanda containing the following. A sake bottle and cups, an ornate folding fan with Japanese characters on it, a kimono, a little statue of Buddha as well as a clue reading, please join me for dinner and relaxation. And Amanda says, I'm guessing it's a Chinese or Japanese restaurant based on what was inside the box. Look. Thank you, Amanda. Yeah, thank you, Amanda. I I do think that, like, uh, you know, uh, Japanese culture was not as big a part of day-to-day Western life in 2002 as it is these days, but it is kind of crazy to see all of those things that seem pretty clearly signposting Japan and be like, eh, Asia, ah, ah, could be China. Mm. Yeah. Who knows? 
Um, we see Alex shave and get dressed in the most fucking disgusting blue shirt and baggy gray slacks that I've ever seen. And he looks so smug. He's like, damn, I'm looking good today. This is so, I don't understand this part of it because with the women at the very least, even though the style is so different, what I'm saying is like with the men, I have no fucking idea who's an attractive man. Alex does not strike me as being particularly attractive. Alex's friend Sam, is it, later in the episode? We see him. He does not. The same thing. They're all just kind of dressed in this bizarre way. And it is the the beauty of the face, the features, none of it is apparent. And all Mm. I am looking at is just this gaudy, awful suit. Yeah, to me, it's less even about... um natural beauty and more about like you can sense a lot of effort is happening with the women that yeah I do not i do not get that impression with alex even though it seems like he thinks he's doing effort yeah like he puts on this like kind of like loose fitting like weird it's not like a bowling shirt but it's like some kind of semi-structured polo type thing and he's like this is formal attire like oh you know he's feeling good about it i'm just like you don't see that anymore i guess yeah that's true like what we're learning is that standards in menswear have changed yeah yeah and also i think just like i think it's interesting that the show is at times going to extreme lengths to sell the fantasy and the like the extreme sort of eligibility and Mm. uh you know you want to live the kind of lifestyle that it looks like alex is living or whatever like i think there is there is an attempt at least to create a difference between alex and his friend uh sam just in terms of the way that they sort of present themselves or whatever, that like Alex is meant to be the desirable one. But also it, it if you saw those two people in a room in 2021 looking the way they do in this show, there's no telling which one of them is the like, you know, which one prize. is the bachelor. Right. Yeah. yeah. Cut to Alex and Amanda in the limo. Shot from, like, knee level. Really odd shots in this episode. Lo- yeah. Particularly on this date, there are lots of knee level and, like, ankle level shots. This is, like, shin height. I guess maybe it's the <laughs> only way that they can figure out how to get them both into frame. Mm. They probably have, like, a limo with one of the seats cut out that they bought at some point, you know, at some time between then and now. But at this point, they're just like, fuck, I don't know. We'll squeeze it in somewhere. And then there's this interesting conversation where Amanda is really starting to open up to Alex a bit more. And she tells him about her ex-husband because she was married before. Um, She was in college and he was 17 years older than her. She was. And he would constantly tell her what she could and couldn't wear. It seems like he had a lot of control over her life. You know, she was saying she really likes Wonder Woman, but he asked her not to wear her Wonder Woman costume around the house. Mm. And then Alex kind of zeroes in on the end of this and does a big sleazy laugh and goes, all right. Uh, And, you know, he just seems impressed that she has a Wonder Woman costume, basically. And then in the moment, he says, she's incredibly sexy, fun, laughs a lot and revealed some adventurous things about herself, which I found very appealing. I'm like, buddy, that is not what this conversation is about. Right, right. This is... uh I mean, poor Amanda, who is 23, by the way, it should be said. Yeah. So was married to a 40-year-old man. Um, opening herself up, realizing that this is not a path that is working for her and pivoting to, like, I also own a Wonder Woman costume and him being yeah. like, yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, he just seemed completely disinterested with the sort of emotional complexity or, you know. 
the, yeah. the backstory. Yeah, like his whole edit, and I guess Amanda's story by virtue of that edit for this entire date is him being like, I would like to sex her. Yes. You yes. know? And yes. I mean, people are entitled to their sexual proclivities. Let a thousand blossoms bloom <laughs> as far as I am concerned. <laughs> But I don't spend any time on it because in the meantime, every three months, one person is torn to pieces by a crocodile in North Queensland. Yeah, That's all I'm I, saying. I, I truly agree. And I think you should bring that message to when we're talking about Brooke's season of The Bachelorette later this year. Uh, and your strong, strong anti-same-sex marriage stance that you stand by even today. Uh, anyway, moments later, I guess it worked. They start making out in the backseat of the limo. Um, and she says like, oh, I see that won you over or whatever. Um, so that's good. That's the second kiss of the show. And they arrive at a private room at this definitely not Chinese restaurant. Um, Alex in voiceover says she basically has this incredibly creative sexuality that more or less nobody's ever appreciated. And here I am getting it like a gift. <laughs> this that is something sucks. like... This is some like fetishization of virginity, or you know, I mean, it's not but it's virginity not really. She's married but it's like, to a forty-year-old man. What is he going yeah. with here? No, I, I I don't know. But it's I mean, he's he's creating the fantasy for himself. Or, he's creating a fantasy for himself, and it's also like he's got an underappreciated asset. Do you know what I like? He's yeah. like bought low on a right on a damaged good or something. Yeah, it is. It's a real women of property type of situation. Yeah. No, uh, no, I agree. Um, after they eat roughly one piece of sushi each. Um, some fun, like people who don't use chopsticks very often sort of, uh, um, angles here. Uh, and then it's back to making out whilst lying down on the tatami mats. A server comes in to bring them their next course and awkwardly hovers in the doorway. Unsure if she's meant to enter. She's almost like looking around at the like camera people and stuff who are in the room. Oh my uh, God. And then Alex has to try and sort of snap back into normal guy mode and like stiffly thanks her for bringing the little miso soups or whatever. This is something that we might see in a modern day Bachelor. But for it to take place this early, clearly this woman I don't think had any idea what was happening. She was like, who brought these sex people to my restaurant? Right. Right. You know, really odd. And we have to remember, you know, she's not like, oh, it's the Bachelor. Of course that's happening. Totally. Yeah. Because often nowadays you have like people who are brought in to you know, teach a class or to cook them food or, you know, present the date or whatever. And yeah, be a lie detector. Right. And and they are well briefed on everything that might happen. Mm-hmm. Recently on Bachelor in Paradise US, there was a date where two people met with a like Mexican chef for a traditional Mexican meal. But the twist was that they were going to eat it from each other's bodies and be the plate or whatever. And so you have, (laughs) it's an incredible sequence. I recommend you watch it. Be the plate you want to see in the world. Yeah. They have this long scene where they are like putting taco ingredients, including like guacamole and just like more sour cream than you've ever seen in your life (laughs) all over each other's bodies. It's like dripping everywhere. And this woman who is clearly like, you know, this is my grandma's (laughs) recipe of like slow cooked beef or whatever is just standing there like totally feigning happiness and comfort with this experience because at least she has been told what's going to happen. She knows what's going to happen. She's like, She's oh, like, I'm okay, on great. You'll the eat bachelor, it off each other. you know? Yeah. Yeah. This is not that. This is not that. Um, and the last part of the date shows a 
be kimono to Alex this is my joke of the week is be something to, uh, a be kimono to Alex that's all folks uh, giving Amanda a massage whilst in voiceover he says kissing has taken things to a new and better level and that makes the temptation to sleep with her even better I don't know if you picked up on this throughout this date but I felt there was a subtle undercurrent of horniness going on <laughs> Yeah. We also yeah. learn in just Look. a second that Amanda got back to the villa at like 4 a.m. So all of this stuff is happening like in the dead of night. Goodness me. How far away is the restaurant? How long did they spend in the limo doing kissing shots? <laughs> That's true. It could be a And while. also like this is the other weird camera angle for the episode because they're seated at the, I don't know the, the traditional name for it, but the little Japanese table. Uh-huh. And then they're on the ground on the mats. And what we see is like eye level. Right. Because there's no way you can get the camera. You can't maneuver the camera lower than them or anything. Like, no, it's no. just sitting on the floor next to them. Yeah. As they're rolling around, yeah. making out. Mm. Very, very odd. Really odd. Uh, this is the best that they knew how to stage it at the time. We, I'm sure over the years, we'll see this develop and become different for now. Very odd. I think what this speaks to as well is that over time, there is an expectation that a date like this will end in kissing. But yes. I think at this time, maybe it like snuck up on the people who are shooting this scene, or maybe the people shooting this scene just don't want to like interrupt. You know, they're like, oh, they're kissing. We have to let this play out no matter what it looks right. like. You know? Right, right, exactly. You know, we have to capture this for the natural, authentic thing that it is. And sometimes that works. Like there's a scene earlier in this episode where Alex is talking about, oh, I'm really excited to go on this date. Here's what I think will happen. We're going to a Japanese. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. And Mm. he's tying his shoes the whole time. And it really just makes it feel like, oh, sick. We are getting to know this man in a way that feels authentic. He's talking to camera. Yeah. This is normal. You know, like I can imagine myself tying my shoes and not necessarily talking to camera, but talking to someone about something that I'm doing. Whereas now we hear all of that in voiceover, voice of God, omniscient narrator, the the whole nine yards of The Bachelor. But this felt like... I don't know, genuine, authentic. Yeah. And particularly, I think, when you're used to reality shows that are very, like, you know, there, there's less staged stuff and there's more just, like, people hanging around and chatting and that kind of thing. Like, I'm thinking of, like, yeah. road rules or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. Big Brother. Big Brother. Yeah, absolutely. Back at the villa, we see Lanice explaining to Alex's friends, Sam and Stephanie, that she was in a relationship with somebody pretty recently that wasn't going anywhere. And when the prospect of going on The Bachelor came up, she raised it to her partner, hoping that he would object. But instead, he encouraged her to go on the show, Um, which I think is a good, interesting bit of backstory that does come up later. It doesn't feel like it's being presented negatively here, although it, 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 it is a plot point that we'll touch back on. But like even Sam, one of the trusted inner circle... ITMs that Lenice is really cool and like hopes that Alex takes the time to get to know her. So I'm like, great, right. everything's everything's coming up roses for Lenice, so to speak. The next date box then shows up for Miami Heat dancer Trista. We don't really see what's in it, but we cut basically straight away to the batch pad, or as Alex describes it, my place, for <laughs> a cooking one-on-one date. And I also love that this exact date still pops up like roughly once a season, you know? Yep. This is this is yep. a first. We see it every single year. 
and they're making spaghetti bolognese. We see Alex knock over a pile of loose spaghetti and uh, spill something from a jar and almost burn his hands on a hot saucepan. I'm like, these- 31 years old, this man. Yeah. I'm truly looking at this. I'm like, Trista, get out of there. These are red flags. These are total red flags for him being 31 years old and not knowing how to do any of this stuff. Yes, you have a Harvard education, but it doesn't count for shit <laughs> if you can't fucking open a can of beans. Yeah, it's not, it's not a good look. Back at the villa, really cool girl, Lanice, is explaining the very real tradition that definitely exists of kissing every time you go under a bridge in a gondola. <laughs> She's like, you've got to do it. What am I supposed to say? You've got to try it. Yeah. And uh, and there's another incredible shot of Compass Shannon in distress, which I just wanted to highlight because I'm making a little album of them. <laughs> of <laughs> just Shumpus gazing into the camera, just being like, what the fuck am I doing? What the fuck what is happening? This? Yeah. I gave him a compass. I should have kept it for myself. <laughs> Cutting back to the single date, Alex and Trista are eating something which does not resemble the big pot of spaghetti bolognese that we saw earlier at all. It is like a creamy colored like rice dish. I'm like, <laughs> and they talk about it as if they you cooked did not it. cook this. Yeah, yeah, they yeah, they're both like, hey, you know, this turned out all right. You know, yeah. Um, HelloFresh does not exist yet, so <laughs> we know that they have gone to the local Italian and ordered something. Right, yeah. They went to whatever was open when they were shooting this, presumably at two in the morning. Abject lack of extremely subtle sponsored content in this episode. It's very true. It's very true. Although, actually, you know what? I say that. There is some coming up. I don't know for sure that they actually got a tie-in for it, but we, we there are some brand names coming up. Alex decides to share how he's feeling with Trista. He says, you make me nervous. You make me nervous because I like you. The first night, you just started talking about what you do and who you are. And I was kind of like, oh, my God, this girl's awesome. And Trista says, oh, that's good to know, but doesn't really reciprocate it. And she tells Alex she's got some walls up. And then Alex ITMs that he wants her to prove to him that she's interested. I love this. This is like, I feel like this episode, there's a lot of things coming together in terms of like, they are figuring out how to actually build suspense or, mm-hmm. I mean, maybe they already knew it, but they're like, there's an actual emphasis on like, you know, a seed being planted earlier in the episode that will pay off later on down the line. Right, right. We're seeing the first batchy will they, won't they right, here right. with Trista. And that is beautiful. The other thing that I really liked about this scene was that we saw Alex kind of unmasked a little bit. And mm. in our State of the Batchy Nation podcast, which you can find a few weeks back in your pod feed, we talked about this idea of letting the bachelor be fallible and vulnerable and imperfect. And we get this confessional here from Alex where he says, I hate it. I hate being vulnerable. Yeah. Which coupled with his lack of cooking skills maybe raises a huge <laughs> red flag. But to me, I'm like, do you know what? I kind of love seeing this, that they were like, this man is Harvard educated. This man has, lives the lavish lifestyle can't cook, hates being vulnerable. This man (laughs) loves to drive a fast car. Right. You're totally right. This is what makes this stuff interesting is like he still has faults, you know? He still has flaws. Yeah. That makes him real. It makes it real. It makes it more interesting. Yeah. Back at the villa, it's time for another date box addressed to Rhonda, Lanice, Kim, Kathy, and Christina. And that is everybody else except for Shannon. So we know Shannon's getting that single date. Uh, But the box has a cowboy hat and a little plastic horse in it. 
And it seems like not getting the one-on-one date affects Rhonda really strongly. Uh, Mm. Rhonda runs out of the room. She collapses on her bed. And then in a teary ITM, she says, this is harder than I thought it'd be. It's not fair. I've liked this guy from the moment I saw him. If I can make a list, he fits it all. And it's like, why do I have to meet you under these circumstances? The next morning, the group drives out to the Saddle Rock Ranch in Malibu and everybody gets on horseback. Alex ITMs, honestly, nobody was giving me a good vibe. They're all mad at me. (laughs) He says, I was glad these women didn't have guns. I'm like, yeah, I mean, when would that ever happen, right? Oh my God, (laughs) this is so fun. Like this whole thing is so funny. Firstly, because of the gun thing, but secondly, because the women are mad to be on a group date. And in Modern Bachelor, you have to be excited in order to be romantically viable in whatever fucking football obstacle jumping castle tough mudder that they have concocted this week. I would I would argue that the the model of uh, group date in in this day and age, and probably not too long after this, is the the group date is designed to humiliate you, to force you into some kind of uncomfortable, like physically strenuous, zone. difficult. I mean, often a single Jump date is out like of that a plane, too. babes. Yeah, yeah, but but a group date is is really like you know there'll be some kind of like forced violence or you yes, know, you know something like that, and you're mission your objective is to pretend that this is a date and to pretend it's romantic Mm. pretend you're having a good time and pretend you're glad to be there and you can't be being like oh i should have been on a single date instead this blows (laughs) it's crazy you would never see yes yeah it was great i loved that they were all furious with him i love it too because people haven't like it's, it's you hear so much about reality TV being fake, right? And it's because people have right. learned the ways that they're meant to behave on reality TV over time. At this point, Correct. these are people who are just like, I think one of the most interesting things about The Bachelor is it is a game or it is a sport or it is like, you know, there are, there are rules. There are ways that you're meant to behave. Right. But There are ways that you're meant to play the game. Right. But it is so interested in covering up that fact like when you compare or contrast this with like Survivor or with, you know, any other game show or whatever, those things know their games and they want you to be strategizing and talking about how it all works. Whereas The Bachelor is just like, no, 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 no. You're going to follow the rules, but you're not going to you're not going to make it seem like there are rules. Right, right. Because otherwise we'd be calling it the Stratula. <laughs> Strat- it's exactly right. Alex senses a little bit of frustration from Rhonda and pulls her aside and in this chat, she tells him, I'm not annoyed at all. So this is good play. Is if we're if we're looking at it through this lens, we're like, yeah, pretend mm-hmm. everything's fine. Great gameplay. Um, yeah. And she says, I'm just past that point in my life when, you know, I, I know what I want now and I, I know what I'm doing here and I'm not here to play games. And Alex says, or join a sorority. Feels like he's understanding it. And then Rhonda, in her infinite prescient wisdom, predicts one of the major narrative threads which will be leaned on time and time again for decades of reality TV when she tells Alex, right, I'm not here to make friends. This is so good. I love it. She's the first person to say it, at least on The Bachelor. First person to say it on The Bachelor. There is another Rhonda first later in the episode. She is just establishing all of these archetypes. The thing that I love about this is that it's all prefaced with Alex giving this confessional that says Rhonda is more mature than the other women. Mm. 
She's shooting a gun off the back of a fucking boat. <laughs> I think what Alex means to say is that she might be older. Oh. She might be a little bit older than the other women. Yeah, I think that might actually be what he's saying. That's true. Um, or maybe that he's just kind of saying, like, I'm scared of her. Like, she has <laughs> potentially got power over me in a way that I'm not comfortable with. Yeah, I've already mentioned that I'm glad that no one has a gun this time. Right, exactly. Compass Shannon's date box arrives. Containing an envelope with a clue. What a fucking... <laughs> Go on. What a sentence. <laughs> what just the just the combination of nouns in that... <laughs> Compass Shannon's date box. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Arrives. Um, yep. Containing an envelope with a clue that points towards Harry Winston jewellery. Ah. I feel like they definitely, you know, there's a little... There's a little uh, ding next to that in the credits or whatever you know yeah i missed this on the first pass mm. i was like i can't believe we'll get to it yeah uh and there's a clue which reads dress down for a dazzling night on the town alex and that evening alex arrives in a suit and shannon is very concerned that sh- that he has lied to her about the dress code because she is wearing jeans and like sort of a casual top but never fear shannon capitalism is here the limo drives them directly to a boutique called Escada in Beverly Hills. There is also like a glamour shot of the outside, you know, the 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 sign that says Escada. So I have a feeling they might be getting a kickback too. Uh, and she can pick out whatever she wants and keep it. So this is also a kind of date that has uh, lived on for many years. I think it's more common in the American one. I feel like we've seen it. It's really fallen by the wayside in Australia. Yeah, yeah. And it's maybe partially just like they are not getting the right sponsors or whatever. That's like, right. The equivalent now is the fucking microwave pasta date or whatever. Like, yeah, you can yeah. pick out any one. You get to go into the- Starbucks and choose any latte that you want. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You can have any of these Maltesers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the first ever pretty woman date. We see a montage of Shannon trying on dress after dress, eventually landing on a black rhinestoned <laughs> one that matches Alex's very bland suit. Um, like a brine-stoned <laughs> cowboy. Yeah. Back in the limo, Alex tells Shannon a story. Oh, no. Shannon asks Alex to tell a story, which I don't know what she's looking for. Tell me a story. But you know what? Based on how this pays off later in the episode, which we'll, which we'll get to, this is incredible play from Shannon. It's a great move. Yeah. It is giving her something that she can call back to later. So Alex tells Shannon this story, saying, once upon a time, there was a beautiful princess named Shannon who came to Beverly Hills in jeans, and she kissed this frog named Alex, and he turned into Prince Charming. And then Shannon sort of coyly says, oh, does he know that Shannon doesn't kiss on the first date? And Alex says, oh, he knows. I don't think he knew. But I also I also feel like this is a, a strong, like, you know, line in the sand kind of play, which also gives her something to call back to. In that he is Definitely. now. We talked last week about um, setting up barriers or setting up things that the bachelor has to overcome, like not just being the most submissive, you know, of all of the women. That's not going to necessarily get you there. You need to present mm-hmm. some element of challenge, I think, and I think that's what she's doing here. I think that what the word that we've been missing is leverage. Mm, yeah, and. What Shannon is doing here is giving herself great leverage because the date goes well. We know that they don't kiss because she doesn't kiss on the first date. So she set her expectations early. She knows that she now has something that he wants. 
So she's got the leverage to go about getting into and through the next rose ceremony. Yeah. And, right, what do you call it? Invitation night? <laughs> That's can right. say. Yeah. Yeah. Getting an invitation at the next invitation night to receive a rose <laughs> at the rose ceremony <laughs> right. through yeah. which to advance to the next episode. Uh-huh. Once he's been through the deliberation room, and then you might end up getting the Shumpus gift yeah. box or whatever the fuck it is. Uh, as they sit down for dinner, Alex steps out of the room briefly and comes back with two jewelry boxes containing earrings and a necklace. They are very sparkly. So sparkly. Yeah. Even in the like not quite HD, like well preserved, but not beautifully. I don't know if these exist in any better quality than I've got them in. Um, but, you know, you can still see through the the 20 years of time and weathering that these tapes have been through or whatever, that these are beautiful yeah. pieces of jewelry. Shannon says that she is insecure that now that they're spending some actual time together, Alex might realize that she's not who he really wants. And Alex reassures her, every minute that I spend with you, I like you more. You do not need to worry. And then a man with a violin playing the opening of Packle Bell's Canon in D major, one of the most famous and played out pieces of music in the world, uh, steps into frame and Alex asks Shannon, may I have this dance? And just as I'm thinking, how fucking weird would it be to dance to one violin player on his own who is basically just playing like a descending major scale? Uh, They pipe in a recorded version of the piece with a cello and a harpsichord, neither of which appear on screen. This is another big first, I think, Uh, a musical performance. tradition. Yeah, which the show has absolutely no interest in actually showing us. We will overdub it. Right. And then also they just start talking over the top of it as well. Like we get maybe five seconds of... Just the pia- just the violin. We get maybe five seconds of the rest of it. And then we get Shannon telling the camera, I am pretty woman. I'm pretty woman tonight. I'm Cinderella tonight. I'm Snow White tonight. I will never go on a date like I have tonight. I'm really falling for Alex, especially with the fact that he has respected me so much this evening. I do somehow hope to figure out if Alex is being sincere with me. I don't know if I trust him. I'm like, you can stop talking. Everything's going fine. Don't, you know. Everything's going so well, babes. But she is, she's building stakes. This is what I'm talking about. Like the fact that they kept this in here, it's like, I'm interested to find out what happens with Shannon. This is what makes me think that Shannon is the winner. Interesting. So I was going to ask this, and I don't know if this is the appropriate time. Maybe it is. Like, where, where is your standing? So Shannon's on top. So at the last, uh, at the end of the last episode, I thought that it would probably be Shannon, based, mm-hmm. I thought that Shannon was the front runner based solely on screen time. Mm. She was the only one who I really felt like we got to know outside of Rhonda, who I'm considering a non-serious contender. <laughs> maybe. And oh, well, she's Lenise. serious, but maybe not, <laughs> <laughs> not in the way that we wanted to be. Mm. Um, Shannon seemed to me like she would be the absolute front runner, yep. and so now here she is getting the most emotional complication, mm. and that amount of of exposition and a narrative work that's being done for her and the way that she is being allowed to speak for herself about the complexities of her relationship with Alex yeah. rather than just saying, you know, I used to be married and now I have a cowgirl outfit, but they're not being that <laughs> element of, of push and pull of like, and I like you and you like me. And what does that mean for our relationship? Shannon's yeah. the only one who that amount of exposition is being offered to. And mm. that's what makes me think that she is the winner. Interesting. We will, of course, 
revisit this throughout the uh, the miniseries. Alex in voiceover says, It was like one of the most romantic nights I've ever had, and I literally had visions of her as like the mother of my children. So yeah, you're, I mean, look, she is being presented as a front runner. There is no doubt about that. Yeah, the most obviously, I think. And the other thing that I noted here was just how low the bar was for Shannon. Sure. She said, like, there are so many times when Alex could have put me in an uncomfortable position, but he hasn't. Right. And I really like that about him. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, Well, I mean, maybe she's talking specifically about being, you know, like, uh, not put on the back of a horse or whatever. (laughs) You know, like, you know. Not shot at. (laughs) Exactly. As opposed to you know, focusing on the fact that she's been put in a very comfortable position. Mm, She's just like, well, mm. it could be worse. Alex's friends then leave. I had frankly forgotten that they were there. Me too. These guys How long did they live in this mansion for? Look, a day, maybe two. I want to say two days, maybe a weekend trip, you know? For a minute and a half of screen time tops. Completely underutilized. And it's interesting because we give them a lot of credit for being like, oh, th- you know, this is a thing that comes up again. And I think it's a it's a strong element to bring into the show of being like, A, the women can get to know what his friendship circle might be like. And also, obviously, they can be used to adjudicate like the the appropriateness of their, you know. Definitely. Whatever. And they can spy yeah. and there's op- opportunities for fun little sneaky stuff to happen. And just none of it really, none of it really plays out here. None of it materializes this time, but you would have to think that this planted the seeds for future examples of how we might do this. Yeah, I almost got the impression from this episode that like prior prior to this, they had tried to put in just about all of the footage that they got into each episode. And this time uh-huh. around, they kind of just had too much and they had to rush through some stuff. Yeah, this whole episode felt so rushed. Like we start in the mansion with Chris Harrison being like, "Ladies, here, I've got to tell you," and he's talking really right. fast about. And you're gonna go on three single dates and a five and <laughs> sold. Okay, let's not talk about Connor Canning anymore. To the man from Hobart, right? Uh, and then it's time for the invitation night. You know that thing from The Bachelor. Um, Kathy is the first to chat to Alex. And this is one of the worst conversations I have ever heard on this show, just in terms of how brief it is and how absolutely nothing good happens in it. Um, Kathy comes up to him and says, so have you been to the gym lately? Oh, God. I don't know why. Um, And Alex says, I mean, Alex, he's the bachelor. He's not going to the fucking gym. He's being the bachelor right now. What's he doing? Yeah. Yeah. He says, actually, no, my workouts are naps. She doesn't laugh. And then she pauses and then she goes, do you have any questions? And then Alex says, I don't think so. <laughs> Wait and I'm see whether Kathy sticks around after this. <laughs> like the whole thing last week was like, is Kathy too young for The Bachelor? Do they right. have anything in common? Mm. The, like they really could have leaned more heavily into that last week to set up for this glorious punchline. Yeah, they almost seemed like they were arguing against it last week. Like, there was a funny moment where it was like, no, they both went to, like, diving school or whatever the fuck it was. Yeah, they can talk about what it's like to be under the sea, to dive right in. (laughs) Right, exactly. In the same way that they would get along great with both of us, I'm sure. Right. Uh, And then Lanice, very tentatively, very trying not to, you know, step on any toes, asks Alex about dating someone of a different racial background. A fair question. Tip-toes. She's tiptoeing. It's a great question. Yeah. And he charitably says, I feel fine about it. And Lanice says, I don't mean charitably in the sense that like 
Lenice is a charity no, case. No, I understand. Yeah. yeah, no, 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 no. Lenice says, in life, in the world, we'd have to experience some people who weren't as open to it. So you kind of have to be a strong individual and really believe in what you believe is right. But I would love 2002 to. 2002 must have sucked. Yeah, fully. Know, for Lenice. Yeah, and even uh, being, you know, there's no way that Alex is going to say that it's bad because he is being on TV right now. Of course not, yes. Like, this is the safest possible... But but the fact that you have to do this in front of cameras, the fact that you have to be seen by millions of people... The, this and, conversation needs to happen. Yeah, it, it, that is exactly true, yeah. Um, but Alex, <sighs> Alex seems keen. He's like, oh, yeah, me too. And Lenise feels confident that she's going to get a rose tonight. But then the mm. next thing that happens is Alex goes to Amanda and asks, tell me about Lenisa's ex slash kind of current. Is that something that you would be like, Alex, you don't want to mess with that? And this feels so dirty to me that he goes and asks Amanda instead of talking to Lenise about it. Totally. And, it. and Amanda says, just so you know, I love her to death. She's an awesome person, but she broke down last night about him. She's seen him a lot lately. So, you know, it's hard. And Alex fills in the gaps and says, this is barely an ex. It's her boyfriend, which sucks. This really yeah. sucks because nobody is interested in getting Lenise's side of the story. No, no. It's Alex sort of coming to the conclusion that he knows he's going to pick Amanda. Hmm. And so he's going to use Amanda as a barometer of what, what the other women are like. And in that sense, like we can see where he's placing his trust and it probably makes Amanda a lot of a, a you know, a significant front runner as, mm. as well in this competition, but fuck, it would be good to have the perspective of the person who was involved here. Even in the most recent season of the Australian bachelor, we saw that when Jimmy learned of what was going on with Jay and Instagram, mm. you know how Jay was cheating on Jimmy with Instagram. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We at least went straight to Jay and got her perspective. Right, because even from a a, a cynical perspective of, like, producing a TV show, it's more mm. fun if you watch it play out from both sides. You build a oh rivalry. Oh, my God. It's like, that's so how you make reality fun. TV. It's how you have really exciting drama on your show. Yeah. And it also just felt so rotten to me that, you know, Lenice is very gingerly approaching the subject of like, you know, I am in a very different pos position to all of the other women on this show. Um, and, you know, I am, I'm just trying to get a barometer of how much I can trust this experience and how much I can trust you. And he is like, yeah, okay, well, I don't trust you. I'm going <laughs> to oh fuck off God. as well. Like, you know, I'm going to go talk to someone else yeah, about how like, you're yep, fucked. All for it. You know. Let me just go and check. Uh, make sure that you are, in fact, not trustworthy. Like, I think you are. But yeah, right. love you. Let's go. Right. Yeah. It's, 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 it's really gross, actually. All of his actions are much worse because she is a non-white player and the only non-white player, I think, remaining in the cast. Um, True. And because she's explicitly addressing that point. Yeah. Picking up the Trista thread from earlier, uh, she says, I'm very shy and reserved and there are certain walls that are up. So now I just want you to know that I feel like we do have a connection and it could go somewhere. Kind of two opposing statements, but okay. Alex ITMs, I feel like a really intimate connection with Christina. I feel like I'm already dating her. So I think Christina, Lenise and Rhonda have some potential to be in the final four. And at this point, he is just outright lying. 
Who is Christina? <laughs> Christina is one of the four non-brunettes from uh, the right. opening titles of this episode. She is an attorney from Bonita, California. Oh, did I fuck up? And is that actually Tina? No, I have it written down here as well. Christina, Lenise, and Rhonda. <laughs> Christina's been here the whole time. Jesus Christ. Just- Do you know... <laughs> What's so funny about this is that I had these three names written down as well, mm-hmm. and I wrote it down because Lenice is a clear Frankenbite. Yeah, at least to my oh, Lenice is added in after the fact. That's interesting. I don't, I don't yeah. know if I caught that. Where he's like Christina, Lenice, and Rhonda. Mm. So it was that for me was like the first example that I could spot of of someone really clearly biting a piece of audio and putting yeah. it in. Hmm. The more interesting thing is, who the fuck is Christina? <laughs> yeah, look, uh, I can see her name appears at least once more in the remainder of my notes, so uh, we'll get to it when we get to it. I fucking don't remember at all. Uh, the nanny named Kim pulls Alex and tells him- Oh, that's her. Yeah, yeah. Um, Kim tells him, you're so shy around me. Sometimes I'll see you with different girls and you'll act totally more relaxed than you are around me. I just want you to be yourself, you know, relax, just go with your gut. And then they sort of sit looking at each other for a moment before Alex flicks her hair across from her face and kisses her on the cheek before they segue into a full blown makeout. Kim says, I don't envy you at all, but you'll make the right decision. I found this really interesting because Kim has not registered as like a key player over the last at all. I mean, definitely not this episode and not that much previous to this. I get the impression that maybe Alex is a little bit taken aback by Kim pointing out his shyness. Like maybe he's a little bit insecure about, you know, how he's being perceived. We've talked about that before. Like he doesn't seem like neurotic, but I think he is concerned with how everybody is seeing him and the assumptions they're making about him. Like the thing about this for me was I don't understand why his move is the cheek kiss. Oh yeah. Well, that's crazy. Like he just goes in and he does this, like trusts this real supple, like, yeah, to me, it's like the move that he's doing here is because he is feeling a bit insecure. He's trying to like seize control of the situation, make some kind of display of dominance or something. But maybe because he is so aware of how he's being perceived, he is trying not to come on too strong. And maybe he thinks that the cheek kiss yeah. is like a compromise. Yeah, I can see him doing the maths in his head. In that way. Uh, he's Harvard educated. Look, maybe this is where he landed. <laughs> yeah, that's right. This is what he majored in. It's just a little and rotation. Then, it's a geometry. We throw thing. in this little bit of algebra that he says here. He says, blonde hair, blue eyes. I would kill to date a woman like this. <laughs> you don't need to, my friend. I don't think you need to. Uh, but also, yeah, I mean, you know, I don't know. He is winnowing down the the group. You know, I mean, we'll talk about it more after the eliminations in this episode, but it's like there is a certain kind of person that's being left in this uh, in this experience. But uh. well, that's really true. What's interesting about that, though, is that as much as it is the male gaze coming in through production here, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, she's got the blonde hair. She's got the blue eyes. Amanda, he's like, I want to kiss her on the mouth. The direct contrast is Shannon who has been offered qualities and could be the mother of his children. Right. Right. Exactly. And she is mm. a dark haired white lady. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then ting, ting, ting. Only three tings this week. Yeah. Look, I, I'm, I'm annoyed. We're only getting three tings. I want to feel like, 
I want to feel a sense of positive progression. You know, I want I want to see the show mm. building and growing, especially with the narrative that we've concocted of like, you know, here we are 20 years later and the show has found its like, I don't want to say final form, but there's been so much evolution between then and now. Oh, the show is built on a bedrock of tings. Yeah, I know. But to see it, to see it so uh, loosely dispersed in these early days I know. Is, is, is tough. So Chris herds Alex away to the deliberation room and tells him that he's got to chop the eight remaining women down to just four. Alex tells Chris, I'm having a little trouble sleeping. I dream about these decisions. I dream about these women. It's much more intense than I thought it would be. Sounds nightmarish. But luckily, Mm. this week, there are more video messages from the women to help Alex decide who to keep. I don't know. Do we play the game again? These are, I mean, now we're down to eight. So it's like, you know. At the very least, I, I felt like it was pretty obvious who was who. Yes, exactly. The, the first ones were so anonymous, but this time, you know. They were more substantive this time too. Yeah. And the people who went on single dates talked about their single dates and stuff. So Amanda goes, right. hi, Alex. The massage was perfect. Just don't forget that I still owe you one. Real good. Setting up the stakes for next week. Yep. Rhonda. I had a great time with you, feeling really good about our conversations. Would love to do it again without the other girls. Pretty good. Hard to argue with. Not the most interesting, yeah. but whatever. Trista, I need you to know that whether or not you felt that the feelings were being reciprocated from my end, they are there. Again, she knows what her narrative arc from this episode is. feel like that's what you would expect from her. A producer has consulted her. It's great. Yeah. And then Christina has my favorite one of these. And Christina, we barely know who she is. I can't picture her. Christina? I hardly know her. (laughs) That's right. Well, Christina, perhaps sensing the fact that she is not that memorable, (laughs) says, remember what happened with my rose? No, this was clearly cut. No. Remember what happened with my rose? I broke it. I need another one. That's kind of fun. That's a great line. That's a good line. That's really good. Uh, Lenise says, I would love to have a date with you to show you what my life is like. Good luck with making your decision, and I'll be there for you. When the rain starts to fall. (laughs) Yeah. Kim says, hi, Alex. I just wanted to tell you that my ass is so sore from those wild horses. (laughs) Look at the things that I do for you. But it was definitely worth it. So Kim is the first one to use this as an opportunity to be funny, I think. May, I mean, I maybe that. Christina. Christina's T-shirt is a good girl line. last week. Oh, yeah. You know what? Okay. There's a, there's a strong history here. I take it all back. But this is probably the funniest so far. Talk about your ass. Why not? Come in with your ass. Let us know. Give us some trivia. This is what I was disappointed about, particularly with Rhonda. Like, I don't feel like Rhonda gave us any fun facts this week. Yeah, that's true. You know, like she could have said, uh, I'm Rhonda. I'm a landlocked country in the Great Rift Valley where the African Great Lakes <laughs> region and East Africa converge. Located a few degrees south of the equator, I'm bordered by Uganda, Tanzania, and the Democratic Republic of Congo. Yeah, none of that came up at all. Yeah, so weird. I just feel like use your limited screen yeah. time to to really let us get to know you. Well, brother. here's the thing. She's banking on being able to talk about that stuff next week. Hmm... Kathy says, you are the most incredible person and I will never forget you no matter what your decision is. Kathy is halfway Christ, out the door. Kathy, you, like, you asked him if he's been to the gym recently. <laughs> Shannon says, I was just sitting here thinking that you started a great story in the limo on the way to our date tonight, but you never finished it. 
It was about so good. It was about the princess and the frog. I guess it's hard to say how the story goes from here, but I'm sure there's a kiss at the end. Chris tells the women that the four of them who remain after tonight will take Alex home to meet their parents and let Alex see a new side of themselves. What could be more real than for Alex to go home and meet your friends and family, he asks, beckoning the viewing public to come back next week. And remember, if you're not interested in getting to know Alex, you can reject his invitation. Still doesn't happen. And so the women are still seated at this rose ceremony. There's still, like, despite them only being eight of them now, there's still not quite enough chairs or seating for them to all be at a level height. Mm. It reminds me a little bit of the, like, cursed piece of furniture with the portraits scattered all over it in the deliberation room, which I noticed also is still, like, there's still definite levels of height and presumably priority. Hey, they paid $300 for that thing. They are not letting it go. That's true. That is our set piece. (laughs) Alex tells the women, calling this a tough decision is a huge understatement. You've all seen that I'm nervous. I can't sleep. I can't stop thinking about you. And it really hurts to think that I'm not going to see some of you again after tonight. This is stuff that we're used to hearing from many seasons of The Bachelor. But I do think that, like, more so than the previous two episodes, they've really done a good job of building the stakes up for this rose ceremony. Definitely. It's the first time I'm wondering... Well, it's the first time that I know most of the women. Sure. And it's the first time that I'm now wondering which of those will get a rose. Alex's choices up to this point have mostly seemed fairly arbitrary. He's kind of maybe just going by looks or maybe just going by, like, a gut feeling or something. Whereas at this point, there are some you know, plot threads that feel like they need to be picked back up again and that kind of thing. Right, right. That we as audience members can attach to. Yeah, and and that he is actually kind of thinking about it at this point. The first time I watched this season through, this is the point where it really started sort of clicking into place for me, more so than just like a curio of like, you know, looking at this uh, artifact or whatever. Um, This is the point where I'm like, no, this is a season of The Bachelor, you know? It feels like The Bachelor all of a sudden. Yeah. So the first rose is for Amanda and then Shannon and then the nanny named Kim and finally Trista. And so it is time for Lanice, Rhonda, Kathy and Christina to head home. Kathy ITMs, I think he thought that I wasn't ready for a relationship. Maybe I'm not. I don't know. But Alex, I would say that you missed out on something. Love that from Kathy. Maybe I'm not. I don't know. Yeah, I probably should never have come. (laughs) <laughs> Who the fuck cast me? This is on you. Good. Uh, Lanice, the recipient of the first kiss in Bachelor history, takes it with grace. She says, I feel sad, but I'm okay. I'm okay because I know that if he wasn't feeling 100%, then it never would have worked out. So that's my way to get through it all. Great stuff from Lanice. Yeah. Especially given how he did her so dirty. He did her so dirty. Like, he truly should be in bachelor jail for that behavior. The only exit interview that we get from Christina, whoever she is, is concern about how Rhonda will react to being sent home. Oh. Like, that's that's all we get from her. Um, which is weird because Alex did say that they definitely had an intimate connection earlier in this episode. Uh, apparently not. Another person he is, he is just fucking thrown under the bus. Yeah. And then we have this incredible exit interview from Rhonda, which is chock full of firsts, very exciting television. Mm. She says, I think he made the wrong choice. I know Shannon's here for the wrong reasons. 
Tick. First Boom. one. First one ever. Humongous. She wanted a ring on her finger before she ever met the man. Those are not the wrong reasons. Yeah. That's so interesting, though, that I think the idea of wrong reasons or the idea of right reasons has changed over time. Definitely. And I think, like, you know, in a couple of seasons following this one, because it, it, it tracks on some level that, like, maybe you're just looking to get married to whoever. Yeah. Like, that is a, that is a way that we um, make victims out of people. Uh, already. I suppose. Who's looking to get married to whoever, though? I don't know. But I mean, like... What kind of sane person? Well, I mean, like, the only group that I can think of is, like, you know, people who are trying to get citizenship or something like that. Sure. Okay. But, yeah. I mean, it doesn't feel like it's a particularly real concern. Um, But, you know, over time, it it develops into, like, people who are interested in being on television because maybe Mm. they want to try and get roles in things or whatever. People who want to marry Instagram. Right. And then that's that's what has has changed over the last probably five years or so, I would say, is the the absolute rise of influencer culture and Instagram and stuff. And those are the new wrong reasons. But they're all kind of in the same, you know, territory. They're all in the same territory except for this, I think, which is, is totally different. Yeah, it's a fair point. Yeah. Uh, she also calls out Trista. Um, she says Trista's here because she thinks that he'll grow on her. And that's the wrong thing to be there for, which I just love. Not quite as punchy. Yeah, I know. I was thinking about there's a there's a fork in the road here where maybe 20 years down the line, we would have we'd have people having huge arguments on after the final rose about being like, you know, <laughs> you are absolutely here for the wrong thing. you were here for the wrong thing to be there for exactly (laughs) um but then she continues uh and she begins begins i'll allow it she begins to choke up saying i hope that alex sees seeks the truth in the four girls that are left because i believe in two of them this is a fairy tale for two not four so i hope they find what they're looking for and then she turns away from the camera, suddenly saying, I just can't breathe. I feel like this is all edited together from a, a slightly longer interview. It seems like Definitely. this happens very quickly. She gestures towards the sky as if beckoning to God themselves. Just one deep breath, please. And then we hear sirens blare and we see a shot of an ambulance pulling up to the mansion. We cut to Shannon, who is given the task of explaining this in an in the moment. She says, Rhonda just had some kind of attack, and now the paramedics are here. And the paramedics encourage Rhonda to breathe through her nose as we continue to see her panic. The shot is framed so that her face isn't quite in focus. It's kind of out of the frame. It is mm. that s- stuff that you see. We've we, It felt like it started only a few years ago where, like, there's, you know, footage that, like, we had in Jimmy's season where he didn't know the cameras were on. Or, you know, somebody is running into a back room and we shoot them from outside, but their mic's still on. Yeah, we shoot through the window or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Which I had no idea started this early in this show. But that is a a style choice, you know, to shoot it like this. Unless also the camera person was just also panicking. Yeah, was concerned. Trying to give him some level of dignity or something. But on this show, I don't. But, you know, we see her hands kind of flailing and the paramedic says, you're not having an asthma attack, okay? You're having an anxiety attack. That's the end of the episode. <laughs> what the fuck? That ending is so weird. I mean, honestly, it's one of the earliest historical depictions that I can think of of an actual panic attack playing out on TV. You might be right. I feel like it, 
do you know what I mean? Like, I have never seen such a real depiction of someone having their first panic attack. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I wish I saw that before. I had had my first panic attack. Right. Maybe I wouldn't think that I was having a heart attack either. Totally. You know, like, yeah, I She's fully like, agree. I can't breathe. I don't know what. Just one breath. Let me have one breath. Like, the whole thing is so, it's just completely wild to watch this woman going through this neurological experience that right. you and I might have had and sure. understand. And now when it happens, you're kind of like, okay, I'm having a That's what attack. this is. Okay, here's what I do. These are my strategies. This happens to this people sometimes. Yeah. This is just like absolute amygdala overload mm. for poor Rhonda. Yeah. And it takes it takes the first responder to come <laughs> in and say, you are having a panic attack. Right. In order for that to register, and then that's the end. Yeah, and you know, obviously, on uh, on a bachelor level, this is a big first um, because having somebody carted away in an ambulance is a tradition that runs as deep as <laughs> oh, it's just as old as time yeah. itself, literally as old as episode three. Yeah, like runs as deep as having somebody face their fear of heights. But yeah, it is it is bizarre. They just cut straight to Chris Harrison in voiceover who says, next week on The Bachelor. And I'm like, wait, is is everything okay with Rhonda? Um, yeah, what's going on with Rhonda? Chris Harrison is like, it's a boyfriend's nightmare times four. And I'm like, there's a nightmare going on right now. Thank you very much. <laughs> right in front of our eyes. He's talking about next week, you know, the remaining women will take Alex home to meet their parents. We see Alex making a child cry. <laughs> Uh, we see Shannon say, this isn't like a game, even though it quite clearly is. And mm. yeah, I'm just like, is there going to be some kind of resolution to what happened with Rhonda? What do you reckon? I mean, 20 years later, Kanye names an album after her. <laughs> is that That's right? what happens, yeah. right? Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. You know, look, things as long as things are going well for Rhonda these days, that's all that I care about. And listeners, if you do oh. want to find her on the internet, Xavier, do you have any information? I found her Instagram. <laughs> This is insane. Yes, me too. Uh, Rhonda Rittenhouse married Mark Cusimano in 2007, now goes by her married name. She has three children and has acted in several smaller TV shows, shorts, and movies over the past few years. According to IMDb, she has also starred in commercials for Chewy.com, whatever that is, and Disney Cruise Lines, uh, which is one of the many companies owned by our favorite friends, the Walt Disney Company. Uh, what can we say about Rhonda? At the time of writing, she currently has 97 followers on Instagram. We love that. What an icon. Truly, Rhonda- 98 now, though. Yeah, DOH in fact, pod. 99. Uh, I strongly recommend any listeners to give Rhonda a follow. I don't know if she wants <laughs> this- necessarily. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't seem like a big focus for her, but, you know, she's in acting, like, you know- um, yeah, she's in acting, but she's now also focusing on her travel business from what I can see. Okay, right. Well, look, don't go and harass Rhonda, but I will be curiously yeah. keeping an eye on her. And look, if the Instagram numbers move up and down from this point, I haven't been doing the Instagram numbers at the end of the episodes because obviously a lot of these people, including Alex Michelle, aren't on Instagram, but some of them mm. are. Um, I just also think that the Instagram like positions of some of them are kind of spoilers. So definitely. Yeah, I don't want to wade into that just yet. We don't want to go over there, but if you do want to get behind uh her travel business. Oh yeah. What you've got to look up is uh Wander Over Yonder with Rhonda. Excuse me. Excuse me. You just gotta look up Wander Over Yonder with Rhonda. <laughs> Maybe you can book a holiday to Rwanda. Oh my god. 
Max, you're in trouble. <laughs> oh, fantastic. All right. Well, look, I mean, let's dive right out. Because <laughs> that is the end of our recap. Uh, oh, okay. You're in absconder. That's fine. You squandered your opportunity. <laughs> That's not the end of our episode, though. Despite the fact that we've talked oh, about no. everything that took place on The Bachelor US Season 1, Episode 3, we've still got a few things to talk about in terms of the world at large. What else was going on, you know? We talked about social media gains uh, in the past on this podcast. We are not currently able to really talk about that. However, in lieu of social media gains, let's play some historic games. In previous weeks, we have talked about some top five cultural media experiences. You know what I mean? We, we mm. did, I think the first mm. week we did top five singles of that week on the Billboard charts. Uh, the second week we did the top five films of that week. And Max, you earlier on in this episode laid out a guess that we would be talking about. Television. Uh, Max, you are incorrect. Fuck. We are not talking about television. My research. <laughs> You're not supposed to research. So that's why I have gone with a bit of a curveball. The data for this week is not available for this. So this is data pertaining to the year 2002. Mm -hmm. I would like my friend Max Quinn to guess the most popular baby names for 2002. Oh, okay. This is uh, data that I found... I can't tell you, Max, because you might type it in. You have to promise me you won't type it in. This is on babycenter.com. Um, <laughs> this is an official an official US list, apparently, uh, from Social Security Administration records. <laughs> uh, I'll take their word for it. I did not dig any deeper to find these names, but they, they track. So yeah, uh, whenever you're ready, they are all names that I have heard of. <laughs> okay, great. Well, that's really exciting. Um, okay, look, here's what I'm going to do first. I feel like I can do the boys pretty easily. Sure. Usually they're biblical. Okay, interesting. So we're going to have at least one of a Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. How many names have I got? <laughs> there will be five. Okay. How many have you got correct so far? Yeah. You've got one correct so Fuck far. yeah. Which one was it? It was Matthew. Sick. Okay. The first one you said. That is the fourth most popular name of a baby boy in 2002. Okay, I'm not done with the biblicals. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, so let's say um, Corinthians. <laughs> Corinthians was number six. You just <sighs> missed it. Just missed out. Okay, what yeah. about, um, let's say, Abraham, Jacob. <laughs> uh, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. I didn't even register that. Jacob is number one. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well done. Okay. So we got Jacob and Matthew. What else is like? I'm trying to think about kids who I went to school with who there were multiples of. Yeah, that's a good call. I like that. What about like something classic in American is like Mike. Michael is number two. Fuck yeah. yeah. All right. So okay. You've got. Okay. Jacob, Michael, and Matthew. Corey. No, Corey. No, Corey. Where is the... I don't think Corey's in the top 50. Damn. Hmm. Um, I know. I would, have, I would have probably thought that too. What about some of the classics? Chris, William, Daniel, Josh? 
Okay, Chris, William, and Daniel are all in the top ten, but Josh is the only one in the top five. So Sick. you have now correctly guessed four out of five. Yes. Okay. Right? What about Tom then? No, Tom. Oh, fuck Sam. No, Sam. Um, Jason. No, Jason. I need a clue. Famous. Uh, yeah, people with yeah. This I'm trying to think of an example. There is, uh, there is a Birdman with this surname. A Birdman. Yeah, there is a Birdman. Okay, <laughs> all right, all right. Okay, so I'm looking surname. at someone Falcon. I'm looking at someone, uh, pigeon seagull. Tommy seagull. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Am I far off with Tommy seagull? Look, I mean, you're right in that the surname is a kind of bird. Oh, fuck. Ethan Hawke. Correct. Yes! Yes! Number five Sick. is Ethan. Yeah. Ethan won Survivor in 2002. Oh, wow! That's great! Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's so, why so many people name their, their kids that. Survivor you know. Africa. There you go. You know, uh, Alex Michelle was originally supposed to go on Survivor Africa. He was like in talks to do it. And then ABC oh. scouted him. Interesting. Yeah. I, I didn't mention that, but what well, stole him from under CBS's nose. I think uh, so. he would not I have made that season in, any but... better. Yeah. No, no. So yeah, th- that's the top five. Jacob, Michael, Joshua, Matthew, and Ethan. Mm-hmm. Tell me about some uh, female women who are girls and babies. Female women who are girls and babies. Okay. Historically <laughs> that's right. let's look back. Mm-hmm. In my year four class, there were four yeah. Kaylas. I am not seeing Kayla. Kayla is 19th on the list. They must okay. have all been in your class. <laughs> 2002. Sydney. No. No Sydneys appear in the list. Okay. What about... Okay, my sister was friends with... Bronte, Clarice, Abby. Mm, None of these. Shit. Um, Some of these, some of the ones that you're listing feel a little more Australian. Perhaps so. Clarice, do you reckon? (laughs) (laughs) What about Sarah? Sarah is a beautiful name and it appears at number eight on the list. Ah, fuck. Okay. Let me think about who... We're seeing on recent seasons of The Bachelor, seeing as we're probably getting to this time of like. Sure. Okay. Oh, it's that or it's famous people from around that time. Who's mm-hmm. famous in, in 2002? Have the Spice Girls broken up yet? Can we cover off Mel, uh, Jerry, <laughs> Victoria, and Emma? You're going very British, but it has paid off. Number four is Emma. Sick. Okay. All right. Hannah. Hannah is number three. Oh, he's on a roll. Okay. All right. I, I, I was hoping you would get there because you were talking about recent bachelorettes. I'm like, yeah, she was probably born into, well, no, not quite, but uh, Hannah B, of course, being a, a big bachelorette icon. What about? I need a clue. Okay. Uh, the number one female name for a baby in 2002 is 
still an incredibly popular female name. So just name a woman. Oh no, um, that's a little. That's not a clue. I'm just being cruel. Uh, <laughs> name a woman. Okay, hang on. No, no, no. I'm gonna name <laughs> the most generic woman name that I can. Yeah, just do um, some of that. Through the ages, we are going yeah. to have a really popular name. Be, I feel like you could find, for example, an Emily of all ages. There she is, number one, Emily. Oh, that's good. That yeah. is good. Yeah. I love that. I just said name a woman, and you did, and it was the top one. That's sick. That's so good. Um, all right. Can all you right. can you remind me who uh, who you have guessed correctly? I've, so I've, I've got Emma, Emily, yeah. yeah, Hannah. Variations on the theme and Hannah. Yeah. So there's two more. Um, they're both How American are we going? One of them is heaps American. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them I don't necessarily ascribe with being American, although I don't necessarily think is particularly related to any other you know it's a okay. it's just a regular english language name you know i'm googling uh, the cast of siesta key uh, <laughs> yeah go for it because they're all about the right age okay um and so i'm gonna guess in this uh spate of women mm-hmm. juliet chloe no no cara no kelsey no. Amanda and Madison. You have correctly guessed the American name at number two, Madison. Oh, fantastic. One S or I was about S's? to tell you like, oh, there's an avenue or something. And I was like, I, I, I can't. That's too much. <laughs> okay. And what about the last one? Uh, okay. What can I tell you about this? This feels like I would never guess this, actually. Mm. Um. Let me see. It is, oh, it sounds similar to a kind of car brand. Uh, My friend Hyundai. My (laughs) friend. Are we talking about car model or car brand? Because my my friend Toyota doesn't quite do it. Um, (laughs) My friend, oh, Mercedes. (laughs) No, not Mercedes, but you're, you're in the right. You're actually in the right like price bracket, if I can okay. say that. My friend Alfa Romeo. <laughs> no. My friend Lexus. Alexis. You got it. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Perfect. Mm. Bravo. So there we go. That's uh, that's what's going on in 2002. If you met someone, you could probably say, "Hey, Emily," or "Hey, Jacob," and they'd be, you know, more often than not, they'd be like, "Goo goo gaga, I'm a baby." <laughs> Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, look, it, it still amazes me that you can be born in the 2000s. Yeah, that's true. That is true. I don't think but that I, should I be bet allowed. We have, I bet we have listeners who were born in the 2000s. And if you are, stop. What are you doing? Go on TikTok. <laughs> and also, a schnooky wooky booky boogums <laughs> to you. <laughs> uh, I don't think you for being here. I was very yeah. much appreciate you listening yeah. to the podcast. As a matter of fact, we actually did come here to make friends with babies. Uh, so, <laughs> if you're looking for somebody to, you know, pluck out all the interesting Bachelor news and sort of chew it up and grind it into a fine paste, spit yep. it out into your mouth, we're better Keep going. to do that than to head on down to the Bachelor of Hearts Osh posting group on Facebook, mm. Mm. where we are hanging out there and we are, you know, grinding up worms and... Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> All that good stuff. Yeah, um, and here comes the airplane, you weird infants, because you can find <laughs> us on social media at BOH Pod. He is at Xavier RN. I am at Hello. Max Quinn. Uh, look, you got, you got anyone you want to shout out to this week? Uh, yeah, I thought just for a change, maybe I would shout out to Max Nation. Um, oh, yeah, thank you. Yep, yep, a beautiful um, baby boy brought into right. the world this year. Uh, and yeah, also while I'm here, may as well just say a quick hello to the Zaveheads. I love you very much. And, uh, you know, uh, keep it real out there, you know, don't be fake. Yeah. Don't- look, Zaveheads, we're really excited that you are here for the right reasons and not for the wrong reasons of wanting to get married. Thank you so much. <laughs> that's right. And, uh, yeah, that's about all we have to say this week. Uh, please come on back next week. Uh, we're running out of episodes of this already. Like, we're down to the final four, which is kind yeah, of We're going to time it up perfect because then The Bachelorette starts, doesn't it? Right. So we don't, I mean, I don't know this for sure. And frankly, I'm a little bit freaking out about it. But I have a pretty good feeling that we're just going to roll straight from this into Brooke's season. Prescient we are. We are good at this. And maybe I've jinxed it by saying that. But I don't, you know. Anyway, everybody form a little prayer circle for us. Yeah. Um, at least not, we'll be... We'll have to try and do two episodes a week for a while or something. It's going to be really stressful and great for everyone listening. For everyone who is listening, we would love that. And hey, do you know what else? We love you. We love you. Goodbye. Goodbye.